This is your podcast for all things refinishing. I'm Lane Ball with Zebras Before and After. Welcome to episode 189. It has to inspire me. I have to get that initial spark of inspiration. Like I said, when I see a piece and I know what it needs to look like at the end, that's a piece that I'm going to grab Mm. for sure. Furniture refinishing starts with finding the right piece to refinish. Our friend and refinisher extraordinaire Katie Scott with Savage by K. Scott shares how to do that effectively. And then we hear from another expert refinisher and friend, and Michelle with Amini Design Ashburn on giving your furniture piece a sense of uniqueness. In terms of uniqueness, I think it's important to give your pieces just that one of a kind feeling that when your client gets it, you know, they can say, you know, this is mine. No one else will have something like this. Jen with Green Spruce Designs shares a tip on when to use a poly top coat or a wax top coat. This week's question of the week, what interesting items have you found in your old furniture pieces? Volume two is answered by your furniture refinishing friends, Kristen with Shakto Interiors, Anita with Quintana Redesign, Shelly with Consider This Furniture, and Stephanie with Sunny Patina Home. Susan with Little New Designs gives accolades to Nancy with Viv and Violet's Designs. Stay with us, friends. We have the inspiration, fun, and community that will platform your day. Well, we are going full circle today with Furniture Refinishing. We went back to season one and pulled two popular episodes together for an inspiring and insightful show for you today. Katie with Salvage by K. Scott starts us off from season one, episode 30, to share how she goes about choosing the right piece to refinish. And then Anne Michelle with Amini Design Ashburn wraps it up from season one, episode 11, on giving your furniture pieces a sense of uniqueness. So take us into your mind, Katie, and give us the process you go through when choosing which pieces you will take home and refinish. For sure. I do have a couple of points that I try and stick to whenever I'm considering a piece. So the first and most important for me is it has to inspire me. I have to get that initial spark of inspiration. Like I said, when I see a piece and I know what it needs to look like at the end, that's a piece that I'm going to grab Mm -hmm. for sure. So my second consideration is always the condition of the piece. So I try to stick to pieces of furniture that if they are in need of any repairs, that they're within my skill set. And I know that I'm going to be able to complete those repairs properly on my own. Occasionally, I will get a piece at the side of the road or someone will drop one off to me that needs repairs that are outside of my scope. And that's where I revert to my husband to give me a hand with those. Um, And I've learned a lot working with him. So the third thing that I consider when I'm shopping for furniture is the price point. Um, Often there are pieces that I get that spark of inspiration and I know what I would do with it if I had my hands on it but it's just not a smart business decision as far as the pricing goes. So I do have a little bit of a pricing chart that I try and stick to. um, Mm -hmm. And I know that when I spend money on an item, I need to leave myself room for profit. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that I consider is the market demand. So I know that in my area, I could sell a white set of nightstands all day long. But if I refinish a coffee table, chances are it's probably going to sit around in my inventory for months and months and months. Mm. So that being said, obviously, if I'm given the choice between picking up a set of nightstands and picking up a really cool coffee table, I'm probably going to go with the nightstands. 
I bet that's hard at times though, because you know, you've got to, I mean, obviously it's a business, so you got to be able to, you know, acquire pieces and refinish them that, uh, those pieces that are going to sell pretty quickly. Uh, but on occasion when you see something really unique and you're like, yeah, but it's probably not, I may have to hold on to this piece for a while. Uh, that's probably kind of difficult. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it's an experiment. Um, there are some pieces that you just don't know. Uh, there've been pieces that I've refinished that I've thought this is going to sell in five minutes. It's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. And someone's going to grab it up right away. And then it sits in my dining room for six months. Um, And then there are other pieces that I think, oh, well, that's kind of boring. It's just plain white. And it goes right away. So there is is that factor of the unknown when you're Mm -hmm. choosing pieces. But if you have a strategy going into it and you're aware that things sell really quickly, like white nightstands in my area, and things usually sit for a little while, you can make a smarter choice. Is the, in your area, have you noticed that the trend is more neutral colors? Um, I, I know that, you know, we've been able to see, at least from even kitchen designs, where, you know, the farmhouse look is, and it's still very popular, but it, it seems that the trends are going into, even with, in kitchens and d- with darker colors, darker tones, like that Art Deco nightstands that you did in that deeper navy. And sometimes there's variations of different colors of that blue. Have you noticed the trends changing uh, as of recent, or does it still seem to be more into, into neutral tones? I think they are definitely changing. I mean, you still can't go wrong with a white piece of furniture, but I've noticed in the last few months, as I've been experimenting with new bright, fun pops of color, that those items are selling really quickly. And I wasn't really sure when I when I decided to start using those bright colors. I know I love them, but I wasn't sure that my customers would love them. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy at the response that I've gotten to them. It's really great to see people adding different fresh colors into their home decor. Mm-hmm. Well, these are some really good, uh, helpful um, points for for folks uh, when they're thinking about, you know, what is the right piece for me to refinish? And I, I know that's a difficult process at times, uh, but I think what you've provided has been really helpful. And I really like all of them, but the one thing that I think is, sticks out the most is is really the first one where you said, what inspires me? Because, you know, when you're out shopping and you're looking at different pieces, that one piece that really sticks out, it probably, the creative juices are starting to flow. And you, uh, even if you don't know what you're going to do with it yet, you know that there's something that can be done to it. So that's really good. And I, and I just want to reiterate those again. <clears throat> so that's number one, uh, what inspires me? Number two, the condition of the piece. Is it within your skill set? That's really helpful as well. Number three, mm-hmm. price point. Obviously, you've got to be able to make a profit on on the the, the piece. And then number four, uh, market demand. And, and I'm sure that probably just goes with experience as well. The longer you've been doing it, the more you realize what is going to sell. Um, is there anything that you can offer to folks that are maybe just jumping in and they don't know necessarily the market demand because they've not been refinishing and selling. Is there anything that they can look at that would help them, do you think, um, in guiding them uh, about market demand? Absolutely. Uh, I spend a lot of time just scrolling through Facebook and Instagram and seeing what's out there. So I'm very active on my local Facebook marketplace pages 
seeing what's available and seeing what's moving. So that's mm-hmm. something that you always want to keep tabs on, whether you're new to the business or you've been in it for a while, because obviously that does change uh, over time. And as the population around you changes. Yeah. So yeah. I like to, I like to just keep tabs on that. And I also spend a lot of time just popping in around local thrift stores and furniture stores to see what's going on there as well. Well, that's, that's very helpful as well. Uh, the one thing I can say, Katie, is that, um, you know, one of the neat things about social media is that you feel like you get to know people well, and it certainly appears that uh, you have a lot of fun with your work and you have I a good try. time. Your videos and your Instagram uh, pages, uh, your Instagram account post and your stories are, are enjoyable. And it's, it's fun to see people doing things that they enjoy uh, with their work. So we've enjoyed that. May that just continue with you. We have, you have been so helpful and inspiring today, Katie. Thanks for taking the time to join us. And we hope you'll develop even more following friends as a result of this podcast. Thank you so much for having me on today, Lane. I've really enjoyed following along with the whole zebra journey. You guys have created an amazing community for all of us furniture painters. And I know I speak for more than just myself when I say thank you. It is very much appreciated. Thanks so much, Katie. Great advice. Now a word from our sponsor. Hey, everyone. It's Sarah from Olive and Fern. This podcast is sponsored by my friends at Zebra. When I first tried their brushes years ago, I was so impressed by the high quality and innovative designs, the two things you need for a smooth professional finish. From then on, whenever I'm painting, there's a zebra brush in my hand. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing about your experience with zebra paintbrushes. We so value our customer friends. Now to end the show on giving your furniture pieces a sense of uniqueness. Well, each of your refinished pieces um, are really unique and they each stand alone with their own personality. So um, let's discuss the process you go through that gives your piece their uniqueness. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um, In fact, it's funny because my husband pointed out to me that, and it's something unrelated, but in terms of uniqueness, my husband mentioned that when I set our alarm, it's never six o'clock, six o five, six ten. It's always something random, like six eighteen or six twenty-three, or just out of interesting. <laughs> exactly, it's just unexpected, and I didn't realize I was doing that. To me, it was just a normal thing. But uh-huh. um, in terms of uniqueness, I think it's important to give your pieces just that one of a kind feeling that when your client gets it, you know, they can say, you know, this is mine. No one else will have something like this. Um, And it can be something simple as adding a fun drawer liner or a fun stencil to the sides. It could be adding gold leaf on the interior of a drawer. Um, Maybe using initials on chairs like we did for our kids. We did that. Um, we added our kids' initials for the dining room and surprised them that way. And I, I just shared a photo of it a couple weeks ago. It's something simple that um, you can use, like glaze or shading or colored waxes, mm-hmm. just to have your piece stand out. And when someone sees it, they know that, oh, you know what, I think this person did that. Or even in terms of staging, um, if you can stage your furniture in a fun way, you know, maybe adding just the little unexpected piece here and there, um, I think it'll make your furniture stand out and it 
I always tell people it just takes one, you know, one person to see it and say, you know what, that piece is for me. So that's, I think it's just simple things you can do that people um, will know to come back to you because you're creating something that basically just speaks to them and they'll think that piece was created just for them. And it it makes them come back because they feel valued and Mm -hmm. one of a kind. Now, do you, when you, speaking of, of, you know, adding that level of uniqueness to each piece, do you find yourself thinking specifically in that direction, like um, looking at it as you're working on it and thinking, you know, how can I make it more unique? Or do you, do you, it sounds like it's, it's pretty natural for you. um, Especially if like the alarm, you're setting the alarm at different times and not even realizing it. Yes. Unfortunately it it is normal for me. Um, There have been times where I thought a piece looked completely normal and my husband will come home and be like, what were you thinking? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It looks nice. To me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, you know, one person's norm is another person's, you know, out of the ordinaries. I, I, I don't say I specifically try to go outside the box. I just do something that I think I would like. Um, and of course, custom requests are completely different. Um, but these yeah. are just um, fun pieces to create. That I hope in the back of my mind, someone else will see the beauty in it like I do. Well, what advice would you give to a refinisher who wants to step out, though, and do something different with each piece? Would you, um, I mean, it, again, it's, it's very natural for you to do that, for it to just develop as you work on it. But for somebody who's really trying to be unique, would you recommend that they um, step away from it at, at, at certain uh, points in the process and look at it kind of with fresh new eyes and try to say, okay, now I've got this piece at this stage. Um, why don't I try this, you know, to step outside outside of my comfort zone and to create that unique flair? Absolutely. Um, there's times where I think it's important to look away, to step away, because as you go through different periods of the day, you know, as far as <laughs> emotional painting, but, um, you know, you might love something one second and then you come back an hour later and you're like, you know what, I need to tone that down. So I think mm-hmm. it's important to be yourself when you're painting, um, but also know to walk away and see if you still like it in a couple hours or perhaps even the next day. Um, because again, I, I feel like painting is just so um, individual. And yeah. when you're painting uh, with the intent to sell, it's I think it's important to put a part of your personality in it. Um, but at the same time, remember that someone's going to be paying money for this. So, you know, put, definitely leave your mark on it, but think about where it's going. Yeah, and that's what gives it its value. That's what makes a lot of these refinished pieces collectible. They're not collectible today. I believe they'll be collectible in time. When you get a, a piece in that is ready to be, maybe it needs structural repairs. And of course, you know, you're going to add a color to it. And let's assume this is not a commission piece. How much planning goes into your pieces even before you start? Or do you just start putting down color and then you you start maybe adding colors that you didn't plan to add what what is that what kind of thought process goes through um well if it's a piece that that i know might have mass appeal um like for example something you know that's just boxy and uh, sort of the standard you know dressers that everyone is buying these days um the planning might be to make it you know sort of 
appeal to the masses, but if, if it needs a lot of repair, sometimes the best pieces are the ones that are sort of the diamond in the rough. You can see the beauty in it in terms of what it could be, and that's why other people have mm-hmm. passed it by. And sometimes the most beautiful pieces are just, uh, you know, left to the curb because no one else can see its potential. So I think if you definitely can see the beauty in the piece, it does help. Um, if you just have at least the most basic plan for where you think it's going, of course, things don't usually work out that way. Um, and, you know, you can try one thing and, you know, you look back and you yeah. say, you know what, that just doesn't look right. Let me go in this direction. And in fact, you know, with that 70s buffet, that's exactly what happened. I, I thought it would go one way and it ended up completely different. But if you have I feel like if the framework can be repaired, you make you make it structurally sound. You can basically go in any direction you want, um, knowing that the the structure and all of that is good. You can just put your mark on it. There's lots of things you can do. Uh, I feel in terms of switching direction rather quickly, um, and that's the beauty of paint. You know, there's there's stenciling and the glazing and um, texture. So a lot of these mediums you can use, you can change direction in, in a heartbeat. Your plan, as much as you want to plan, it doesn't always come out like that. Sometimes it comes out exactly how you like it, um, but more often than not, it doesn't. And sometimes those are the best pieces that you've created. Well, you're really gifted, Anne Michelle. We really appreciate you sharing some of your processes that give your pieces their appeal. And thank you for allowing us to learn more about you. We hope you continue to enjoy great success in your business. But before we go, I'd like for you to share with our listeners your contact information with respect to your social media and any uh, website or anything like that. Uh, what what uh, information would you like to share so people can get in touch with you and follow you? Thank you so much, Lane. It actually was an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, I can be reached on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest uh, under my business name, Mini Design Ashburn. Uh, I believe it's just the way it sounds, A-M-I-N-I, Design, D-E-S-I-G-N, and then Ashburn, A-S-H-B-U-R-N. Thanks, Anne Michelle. Great inspiration. Today's refinishing tip comes from Jen with Green Spruce Designs. Hi everyone, my name is Jen Green. I am the furniture artist and owner of Green Spruce Designs. I often get asked questions about when do I use a poly top coat versus a wax top coat. So today I'm here to share a few of my tips on top coating painted furniture. If I am going for a sleek, smooth finish, I will generally use an acrylic-based paint that is self-leveling and a high-quality brush, my favorite being Zebra's Palm Pro. Now, to seal this type of paint finish, I will generally use a water-based poly-top coat, especially for high-traffic furniture like desks or tabletops. The benefits I see of using poly-top coats are durability, wipeability, making it easier to clean, variability of sheens available from flat to gloss, and only one application is needed. You do not have to reapply again. So a few tips for applying water-based poly top coat. First, use a quality brush. Recently, I have been using Zebra's new top coating brush, and it is my new favorite for applying top coats. It is so soft and gives such a beautifully smooth finish. I highly recommend it for your furniture. So some more tips for getting a nice smooth finish with poly. 
apply the top coat in the direction of the wood grain. Use long, light strokes in one direction with your brush angled at about a 45 degree angle. Apply thin, even coats. If you miss a spot, leave it be, let it dry, and get it on the next coat. Sand with 220 grit sandpaper in between coats of poly, but do not sand after the final coat. So those are some of my tips when using water-based top coats. If I am using more porous paints like milk paint or chalk paint, and or I'm wanting a more blended artistic and textured look, I will generally seal the paint finish with wax. So I often get asked, can you use water-based poly over milk paint and chalk paint? And the answer is yes, but I recommend letting this type of paint dry for 24 to 48 hours as the poly can reactivate the chalk or milk paint if you apply it too soon after painting. Now, if I'm applying an oil-based furniture wax over milk paint or chalk paint, I will let it dry for a few hours, but can usually seal it with the wax on the same day because the oil-based wax does not reactivate the water-based paint. So some other benefits I see of using oil-based wax for a sealer are, the wax absorbs well into porous paints like milk paint or chalk paint. There are different colored waxes. You can even tint the wax with paint. So I love the creative options of wax. Now, if you have water spills or water rings, these can easily be cleaned up because the oil-based wax will resist the water. And I love the subtle sheen and old world feel that a wax gives a piece of furniture. Now, when I do use a wax finish, I add a care card with the furniture purchase, instructing the customer to reapply furniture wax as needed because wax will absorb into the paint and wood and does need to be reapplied to maintain a protective seal. But this is an easy process and I have a few tips for applying the wax. I like to use a lint-free microfiber cloth to apply and to remove excess wax. Apply wax like a lotion, so less is more. I use thin coats and I usually do two coats. I use a circular motion to rub the wax into the paint and then immediately remove any excess wax with a second microfiber cloth. Work in a small area like one drawer front. Apply the wax and wipe off the wax. Apply clear wax first and then you can add colored waxes if you'd like. Again, work in a small area, apply the clear wax, and then apply the colored waxes. Say it's a dark wax. I will sometimes apply this where the piece would naturally wear and age, like the corners and the crevices and around hardware. The benefits of applying the clear wax first is that it will seal the paint. And then if you apply too much of the colored wax, you can use some of the clear wax to erase it. However, if you use the dark wax directly on the paint, it will stain the paint and you will not be able to erase. So always make sure to seal the paint first with clear wax. I will also use white wax, again, over the clear wax for highlighting areas or to soften paint tones. And then I generally buff the wax the following day. I use a clean microfiber cloth, which helps to push the wax into the porous paint and creates a nice, soft, durable, satiny sheen. So those are some tips I'll leave you with today. Feel free to message me at Green Spruce Designs with any questions. And thank you to Zebra for having me and for being such a great company who is always so supportive of this furniture refinishing community. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Your experience in refinishing makes us bend our ear to hear. Great counsel on using top goats.
Today's question of the week is what interesting items you have found in your old furniture pieces, volume two. Every time you purchase a piece of furniture to refinish, there is always a bit of anticipation opening the drawers or looking to see if anything is taped under the drawers or behind the mirrors, you know, looking for that valuable historical document or just discovering that personal love note written to a spouse many, many years ago. Well, let's see what our friends have discovered. Hi, this is Kristen Litka from Shacto Interiors. I'm sharing what I found in furniture. I found three admission tickets to the Topsfield Fair, which is America's oldest fair. They're from 1962 and in mint condition, and I feel like someone would definitely want them as a collectible. Hello, Anita from Quintana Redesign. Interesting items I find. Well, I find an old photograph, black and white, group of guys that was dated 1950, 1960. A old style ring pull from a Coke can. And the other one was a Wrigley Spearmint chewing gum wrapper. Hi, this is Shelly Bergio. My Instagram is at considerthisfurniture. And the most interesting items I have found are vintage fabrics, a savings bond, a no-pin soft-collar clip, and a letter dated 1935 with the beginning writings of a poem titled, What Age Is It? This is Stephanie Friedman with Sunny Patina Home. One of the most interesting things I've found over the years in my pieces was a beautifully written love note stashed away in one of the drawers. This piece was what I believe to be circa 1940s, um, and that always stuck with me. Recently found a dirty diaper (laughs) in one of my drawers and uh, still keeping my eyes out for that bag of money. Thank you, Kristen, Anita, Shelley, and Stephanie for sharing the discoveries you have made in some of your old pieces. If you have a question you'd like asked among your refinishing peers, send me an email at lane at enjoyzebra.com. If we answer your question on the podcast, you'll receive a free zebra paintbrush. Accolades is defined as an acknowledgement of merit. Welcome to one of our newer podcast segments called, well, Accolades. We wanted to give refinishers the opportunity to give accolades to their fellow refinishers that they admire for their extraordinary refinishing skills and hard work. This week's accolades are given by Susan with Little Lou Designs. Hi, this is Susan from Little Lou Designs. I would like to give accolades to Nancy from Viv and Violets. I've known Nancy since September 2018. I feel that Nancy deserves recognition not only for her refinishing work, but also the knowledge that she shares with the refinishing community. She's been an inspiration to me from day one. She never cuts corners with her refinishing work and really produces a quality finished product. Because of her tutorials, countless private messages of encouragement, and advice on the best techniques, tools, and products. I've learned so much from Nancy. We found out early on that we don't live too far from each other, and despite that fact, and the fact that there are not a lot of other furniture refinishers in our area, we've never viewed each other as competition. In fact, we occasionally send business opportunities each other's way, and if we find something really cool on Marketplace that we don't have space for, we will end up sending that to each other, at least the link to it, to check it out. So if you don't already follow Nancy, check out her Instagram page at Viv and Violet Designs. Thanks, Susan, and accolades, Nancy. Some exciting changes have taken place with our monthly furniture refinishing contest, The Zebra Review. 
we are moving away from the monthly themes to highlighting a monthly furniture category, you know, like buffets, hutches, nightstands, etc. And we are broadening the opportunity for refinishers to enter the appropriate category by allowing you to enter pieces all the way back to the beginning of the year. This month, our focus will be on desks with back to school. We thought it would be excellent timing. A few other changes we wanted to make you aware of each month. One of our four judges, Katie Cloud with Katie and Company, Katie Scott with Salvage by K. Scott, Lauren Schwachina with Portland Rose Studio, and Jen Talley with Perfectly Imperfect Furniture will be the featured judge. The featured judge will choose their favorites from the contest, and the remaining judges will select the first, second, and third place winners. The featured judge will also join me on the podcast to interview the three winners each month. And this month's featured judge is Lauren Schwachina. Okay, this is very important. In order to enter your refinished desks, you must use the hashtag ZebraDesks. That's ZebraDesks with an S at the end. This will change each month, of course, depending on the category. One really cool element to this new direction is that you will be able to peruse the specific hashtags for a specific style and be inspired of course it's kind of cool a huge thank you to this month's sponsors surf prep sanding d lawless hardware fusion mineral paint and zebra paint brushes if you have any questions feel free to reach out to any of the judges or send me an email We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Zebras Before and After Furniture Refinishing Podcast. Today's episode, along with information about today's guest, is also featured on enjoyzebra.com under the podcast tab at the bottom. Your comments and suggestions for future episodes are always welcome, and we encourage you to share them by sending your emails to me at laneball at enjoyzebra.com. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and happy refinishing.